Whitaker, Harrison County head baseball coach, is joining us on the Whistle Stop Podcast. I'm Drew Ammon. Whitaker became the winningest coach in Kentucky high school baseball history with victory number 1,145 in April of 2021. Also on the show, Greg Peterson and Stephen Jordan. The Whistle Stop Podcast is sponsored by Jason Stonebreaker at Campbell Chevrolet on Scottsville Road in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Visit Jason to check out new and used vehicles. New Chevrolet Tahoes, Suburbans, Traverses, and the like. Call or text Jason at 270-996-8365 to schedule your test drive. Also check out CampbellChevrolet.com. Mac Whitaker, also known as Big Mac, led the Thoroughbreds to state titles in 1993, 97, 98, and 2010. Greg Peterson leads our conversation with Whitaker, who got his first win as Harrison County head coach back in 1978. Appreciate that again, Drew. We are now joined by Harrison County skipper and baseball coach, Mac Whitaker. Coach, glad to have you. Hey, guys. Glad to talk to you tonight. Great night. And I appreciate you all giving me a call. No worries at all. Well, you're coming off a 32-6 and six season, and outside of the, the 32 wins uh, and, and some postseason success, you're coming off of taking the – record for the most games won in, in KHSAA history by uh, a high school baseball coach. You took that from uh, one of your longtime rivals. Let's get right to that. Um, <laughs> Everybody likes to talk about that. Absolutely. Before we even talk about anything else, let's talk about that. So talk about how your relationship with him was on the field and off the field and then how it was kind of in the later days. Well, uh, you know, growing up, when we first started coaching together, Bill and I, Bill Miller at PRP, we uh, we were really competitors. We worked hard, and we had two good programs. And through the 90s, it was uh, uh, either Harrison County or PRP for six straight years. One of us won the state tournament. And uh, we had some battles, and we had one game in the state tournament where we went nose-to-nose on a uh, something that happened. And from that point on, everybody assumed that we were big, hated people you know we just hated each other which is far from the truth because I respected him and I respected their program we worked at it harder than any two coaches in the state of Kentucky we got to be great friends and he would always kid he said you're the only guy I have trouble beating because we played them 11 times since I was coaching and we won 10 of them and the time he beat me was in 96, when we had a 5-2 to two lead with two out and nobody on in the state tournament, and they made a miracle comeback and tied the game up, and we went to the longest game ever in the history of the state in the tournament, went 12 innings, and we lost one run. So uh, we've, had, we've had that rivalry, but we were such good friends. We'd go to clinics together. We'd go out to eat. Uh, he runs a baseball business. I, I get all my stuff from him to, you know, to this day. And so... We were big rivals, but everybody thought that we hated each other, but we really didn't. We got along great. Went right when he was dying with cancer, I went to the hospital to see him, and we just he he made everybody leave the room, and he hugged me, and we just stood there and cried together for for about twenty minutes and talked and relived relived old times and just had a great time, you know, that night before he, and the next morning he passed away. So I was so happy I got to see him. And, 
and all that. So, uh, you know, it's a big rivalry, but we uh, we were great friends that most people didn't know about, and I respected him. The night that I broke the all-time record, uh, the next week we were playing a game at home, and somebody comes to the dugout, and the person that came to the dugout was Bill Miller's son and daughter, and they came to see me to congratulate me on passing their father, and it, I almost broke down in tears. It was just that heartwarming. So it, it was a great time. I got to speak to those two people, and we're still friends. I do business with them now today. So I lost my buddy, and everybody thought that we were big rivals, and we were, but we were good friends too. Well, prepping for this podcast, I, I talked to some Harrison County people. I talked to your family and the one person I talked to from Harrison County, he said, make sure you ask him about him and Coach Miller's relationship and how it really develops. That gives us a nice uh, kind of a breakdown of how exactly right. so many coaches are viewed you know, by the public as rivals, but when in reality, everybody's buddies and, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, they, they all, all share a cold one together after the game. Exactly right. Exactly. With a lot of other coaches also. And so you mentioned the the rivalry through that, that six, eight-year span. You won four baseball titles. Three of those four came during that stretch, 93, 97, 98, and then 2010. Do any of those, obviously they're all special to you, but do any of those have a more special place with, with you when you wear a championship ring? Which ones do you wear? Which one's the you know which one's your go to and do they all kind of have a special place for you? They all do. You know when you coach, it's hard to say which team was better. You like this team more. You know whatever team you're coaching at the time, you like them and you work hard to give them a chance to be successful. And when you think back, you know over the years, yeah, we had some teams that were more. You don't judge and you know, like a team because of this. Uh, every single team had some talent. The first one had the less talent, and it was probably the most rewarding because we were trying to win one. We've been runners-up twice. And uh, so that first one in 93 was a great thrill. Uh, when you lose a state championship like we did in 1984, we're up 9-6 to six with two out, nobody on in the last inning, and we lose 10-9 to nine on a, somebody hit a walk-off home run on us. It, you think you might never get back there. So 93 was special because of that. And then... We just worked so hard, and we had so many good people helping us out that we were we were pretty good teams. We were ranked in the nation, and we went to some national tournaments, and so we 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 just had a lot of talent back in those days. So we're going to take it back to when you first started coaching back uh, in 1978. Just talk about that first year. You didn't have the money, and you just you just took what they gave us. So they sent off and got picked. Uh, you know, there's so many things. When I first took over, I took over from my brother-in-law, Don Snowpeck, and his boys later on played for me, and uh, his boy got a scholarship to Ole Miss, Chris Snowpeck, and he is the first player to ever play in the major leagues for Harrison County, and he played for the White Sox with Michael Jordan down in Birmingham and made it to the major leagues and started and, you know, had a good career there in the major leagues. So, you know, getting started, Don who actually is my brother-in-law, married my sister, Barb. And if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have got to play high school baseball, played for him, went to Moorhead. So he got me started, and he gave me a chance to be the head coach because he knew how much I, I wanted to be a head coach. And that first year, 
back then it was different. We didn't have a field. We didn't have a, you know, our everything was dirt. The dugouts were dirt. We had to start from scratch. And I had players that didn't, we didn't have enough uniforms. And uh, to start the season, we had some players have to play in blue jeans. So, you know, back then it was sets of uniforms to replace what we had, and the spelling on them were misspelled. They had the thoroughbreds misspelled, where our school wouldn't send them back. They wanted, they said that, well, we can keep them for free and wouldn't send them back. So we played the first two years with our thoroughbreds name misspelled. So it was a rough start, you know, trying to change, trying to build. And I ran into a guy that I really got to be good friends with, Ron Harrington, and he became my assistant coach. And we, he helped me for 27 years. And then I lost him in 2006 to cancer. So Ronnie and I built the program. Ronnie and I got together with Coach Madison at University of Kentucky and John Butler and became good friends because they were recruiting John Hampton, who played for us, that was real good. And they offered John, and he went to UK. Well, he, he got us into going to the ABCA National uh, Convention, and that's where we really learned how to coach baseball. Ronnie and I went together. We did everything together. We went to the clinics. We learned how to coach. We went to UK, talked to the people up at UK, and they taught us how to do this. And and so that's how we really got into teaching and learning and how to coach baseball. And Ronnie was the big one big reason why we were so successful all those years to start with. Well, coach, I got to ask you brought up you brought up Ronnie, and I knew you were going to uh, after talking to some guys. And I'm a referee myself. I was told that. You tended to get ejected and, and run more often when Ronnie was coaching with you because you knew you could trust Ronnie with the team. And I said, is that because Ronnie was fueling the fire or is that because Ronnie you know, knew how to take over when, when you would get ejected? So that, I wanted to hear that from you. I was told it was probably because you trusted Ronnie, but I wasn't sure. Well, that's a lot of it. The biggest thing is, yes, Ronnie could do whatever. He had a way with the kids. He was a perfect assistant coach. Back then, we were considered the good cop, bad cop. Well, I would fuss and get on them and try to motivate them, and Ronnie would pick them up and laugh with them and pat them on the butt and come go on, suck it up and play. And so we had a great team on how we coached. Back then, I, you know, when you coach and teach, you have to go to school. You have to get your master's. You have to do all that stuff. So I was taking classes and had to go and had to leave to go to class and back then, there was no penalty for getting thrown out. So so a couple of times, I just said, hey, i got to leave anyway. I'm going to get this guy. And I, <laughs> I would get thrown out, even though I know I had to go on and go. And it would motivate <laughs> our team. And Ronnie, when we had this plan, and Ronnie would take over, and we would go. And it was a fun time, and everybody laughed about it. But uh, that was the main reason then. Back then, you didn't have any penalties. You didn't have to set out. You didn't have to pay a fine. You didn't have to do that. And, so uh, there was no penalty at that point. So it was a, sort of a learning thing, and Ronnie knew he was going to take over after that. But he was capable. He, he was such an important part of our whole program, not just me, but just the community, the parents, the, the, the kids. And we, we, our, our kids had such a good time around him. On the bus, we would have a ball. You know, we, I drove the school bus to Florida seven times, myself and somebody else. And Ronnie would be on the bus, and the kids would just have a ball. They would just have a ball because he was just one of those guys that could cut with, cut up with them and play with them. But, boy, when it got time to play baseball, we were serious. So it was a great time growing up, coming through the system, 
playing for my uh, uh, brother-in-law and then taking over, getting Ronnie, and then along comes Jim Smith, Smitty, and his boy, J.B. J.B.'s got so many records with the state of Kentucky in baseball because as a sixth grader, we made headlines, and I put him out there, and he started from the sixth grade all the way through high school, 12th grade. So I've done some crazy things and played a lot of middle school kids, put in Collie Bond in this 93 state tournament, a seventh grader, and he gets on third base and makes three straight plays that you would never, about the size of a midget back then. So we've done so many things like that over the years, and our community's just been with us. And and uh, But Ronnie, Ronnie is the main part, I've always said it, to getting this program going so that we could be a team and Batman and Robin or whatever you want to say. That's what Ronnie and I were. But Coach, go back to 1978, because to sustain it this long, to be in one place that long, and to have the presence you've had there, how do you think somebody would describe you as a coach, your demeanor? Because baseball is a slow game, and the ups and downs you go through, you have so many conversations on and off the field. Why do you think you've been able to sustain it this long, to stay in one place and be so successful? How do you think somebody would sum up the way you are in the dugout and just overall? Well, you know, when I was first started, I was – I know that I put a lot of pressure on kids, and I, I really demanded a lot. We had real strict discipline, and, you know, I was very vocal. And back in those days, we didn't have uh, phones with recorders on them and phones with take pictures, and, you know, so it was a different day and age. And things that went on back then, if you did them now, you'd be in trouble. I can tell you that. But. You gotta be successful to be able to coach anywhere like I have. And if you're successful, you get the respect. If you're successful, the the parents leave you alone. There's nothing like winning that takes care of all those problems. And we were able to do that. Now I tell you, the first five years it wasn't like that, guys. In fact, the fourth year I had a parent call me up on a Sunday afternoon and say, Hey, I had you in my sights today. We saw you. I, I was going to take a shot and kill you then, but but I, you had your family with you, and so I've been through a lot of things. I had a guy threaten to shoot me. I had a superintendent come and ask me to resign. I've had principals bring me in and say, "That's not your field. That's not your field. That's the you know." There's been rough spots all the way up and down. It's not always been great, but the more you stay, the more you win. When you win 20-some-odd, you know, regional championships, it's hard to, you know, when you're getting better, you're putting kids in college, it's easier. If you don't do that, you can't be like I've been. So it, it's a two-way sword. you got to have things happen, and we we were very lucky to get it going, and me having a guy like Ronnie to take care of things in the dugout when I first started. Coach, you talk about taking care of the dugout and taking care of the field. Uh, you mowed the grass, I know, all those years. Uh, field maintenance, just that was kind of your piddling around. And I know your daughters grew up at the at the baseball baseball field in the ballpark. This past spring, they surprised you with naming the field Mac Whitaker Field. How did that all come about? And did you have any clue that that was going to happen? And kind of what what led up to that? Had none whatsoever. Had nobody said anything to me. Nobody let it get out. Uh, back when Ronnie died, there was a big push 
connect with me too, saying, you know, maybe we ought to do something for Ronnie or Ronnie and I be on the name of the field, but our school system doesn't do that. And so all these years, they wouldn't do anything at all, nothing. And so the day that we were playing the game that would break the record, I look, I'm down working on the infield, and I look up, and the scoreboard is covered. And I'm saying, what on earth? And it was covering blue. And when, you, when my brother went up there to see what it was, and he says, I can't see. They get, you can't even get in behind it. So I sort of assumed that they were going to put the number of wins up there, and when we win the game, show the number of wins that we had. And, you know, nobody had said a word to me or anything like that. And then after the game, they took it down, and it had my name on it. And I sort of got teary-eyed and said, that's just unbelievable. Just I looked up at in the sky, and I said, Ronnie, can you believe this? And uh, so it it taught me off guard. Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate our AD, Brad Allison, who used to play for me, played for the Arizona uh, Diamondbacks. Uh, uh, he's the RAD now, and he's, he's done a lot for us, and keeps things going, and, and I've just had so much support throughout the community, and to have that happen then, uh, I was just overwhelmed. And to have my family there, had my uh, daughters there, had grandkids, and it was just an emotional night for me. You're listening to the Whistle Stop Podcast, sponsored by Jason Stonebreaker at Campbell Chevrolet on Scottsville Road in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Here's part two of our conversation with Harrison County head baseball coach, Mac Whitaker. Well, you've mentioned community over and over, and, you know, at the city of Cynthiana for all of our listeners nationwide and around the world. Cynthiana is the true small town America when it comes to supporting the one community school in the area. Everybody supports it. The sporting goods store supports it. The Walmart supports it. The McDonald's supports it. Everybody from around supports that local team uh, in Harrison County. So um, how is it being at a school like that where your fans travel to away games with the caravans and just always having that support around you, yes, it's a good thing. You talked a little bit about some of the drawbacks earlier, but uh, just kind of focus on the the good things and how important that is when it comes to to being the head coach at a school for so long. You know, it's, it's, it's something that develops, and it's through winning and knowing how hard you work at something and knowing that our, our, our coaches outwork any other coaches and to get a community. We go to the state tournament, and the Kentucky High School Athletic Association just loves it because they know it's going to be packed. We, the, when we played every state tournament, we, everywhere we go, it's packed. The last one we played in 2010, the whole thing was packed, and it never happens except when we're there. So, they, you know, we travel. We, we've got a unique field. Our, our field's got a bank on it that in left field. We have cars that, that go from left field all the way to right field and sit up there and watch the games from the banks. Uh, our games are broadcast on the local radio station. So while the game's going on, the people are sitting with their car radios on, watching the games, watching and listening to the radio broadcast of it. We have, we have our from right field to left field, lined with billboard signs of merchants from Santana that support us and put money into it. Our 
baseball team worked at doing a mulching day for a housing authority project, and we worked five hours and had 43 people there, 28 players and family and people like that, and we made $5,000 in five hours. You know, this something has that has developed over the years. We don't charge admission for our games. We're the only school around that won't charge admission. I've told our, our family, our community, hey, I'm gonna, I, if you all support us, I'm not going to charge you again. I'm not going to charge every parent to get into our games. So we make the money, and we're able to survive without charging admission, and they can come and bring their kids and enjoy it, eat it, hot dog and hamburger. And so we have a great community that supports everything, and it's developed over the years. And when we play a game at night and the lights are on, people come out. They don't have to get a dime out of their pocket. They can watch the game. And then when we go to them and want to you know, sell something to them, we have no trouble doing that. So our community has backed us for so many years. We've got a great system, and I hope that it can continue even after I, you know, quit. So you played a game 37 years ago. You lost 10 to 9 to East Carter in the championship game. Talk about that game and how that's made you a better coach since that time. You remember those kind of games more than any win you have. Those that get away. They just they they eat at you and eat at you, and a lot of people they would say, well, they'll never be back. A school like us getting to the state finals, we that'll never happen again. I had people telling me that oh, Harrison County can never win a state tournament. So that happens, and you know East Carter's never been back. The team that beat us, but because of Ronnie and myself and us that works, I got a brother that's been at almost every game, Jim Whitaker. And he's been every almost – he coached me in Little League, and he's been to almost every game. He videos. He does the radar. You know, we've we've had so many people. I've, I've got I've had an assistant, uh, Eddie Feeback, that's been with me for 18 straight years. So we've got a good system, a lot of people helping out. Getting that loss at East Carter, being at ball over the fence, you wonder, what am I – what's going to happen? Is this going to be the end of it? And, and But we've got good talent. Let's keep working. Let's take them to Florida. We're taking kids. We, we started taking kids to Paintsville, Johnson Central, Owensboro. Then we said, let's go to some big tournaments. So we started taking kids to the National Classic down in Florida. Uh, then we went to Charleston and go to that tournament. And then next year, oh, let's go to California and play out in that national tournament. And we got invited. And what, lo and behold, we come back and win the state championship. Then we go to Las Vegas and play in our tournament. And lo and behold, we come back and win another state championship. We just keep working and keep working. And if you do that and you got the, you know, you, you put in the time, you can just keep it going. And that's what we've been able to do. Coach, the experience, getting the opportunity to coach your daughters, what's that like? Uh, the best thing that's ever happened to me. No matter all the state championships, my family and my wife and my kids are the most important thing ever to me. Uh, you know, I had chances to go to college as the coach. I had chances. You know, I was a I was a scout for the White Sox. I was uh, a scout for the Texas Rangers. They wanted me to pick up and go here and go do this and go do that. And I said, guys, my kids are in school. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving them at home. I'm staying here. I'm not going to leave my kids at all. And uh, I was an assistant coach for many years with them growing up. Everywhere I went, baseball, basketball. After school, the kids came with me. My wife worked in Lexington, and so they they knew that if if I was at the basketball court, they were going to be there. If I was at the baseball baseball field, they were going to be there. 
a basketball, and they went to half the games with me. And I'd referee, and they'd sit in the bleachers while I referee. It, I mean, it, I would never change anything in my life over being around my kids and growing up with my kids and watching my grandkids now. And what a thrill to go and watch my daughter coach Division One basketball and then get the head coaching job at Northern. And I, I couldn't be so lucky in my life to have all those good things happen to me. And I, I'm so thankful for God for giving me this chance to uh, – be around my kids and my wife all these years. Well, Mac, I've known you about 20 years now, and and it all started when Cameron was was playing at at WKU, and and I was a manager for the men, and then was on Mary Stafford's video coordinator. And during that time, I will never forget. And looking back on it as a parent now, I'm thinking, my goodness gracious, how did Mac and Connie do that? You were the head baseball coach, you were teaching, Connie was working. And I don't think there was ever a home game that you all missed. And you were coaching girls basketball still. And and, and I just I, it, I can't wrap my head around it. And just talk a little bit about that and those experiences. And for the people that don't know, I'm going to be generous on the conservative side and say about a two-and-a-half-hour drive probably if Connie's driving. But it, it, uh, It's a three-hour drive every time we went to Western. But it was such a thrill. I'll never miss a game that she's at, you know able to be at getting the opportunity, coming from a small high school like this, and getting noticed, making the Kentucky All-Star team, starting on the Kentucky All-Star team, winning a scholarship to Western, coming in as a freshman and starting. God, I'm so thankful Cameron Cameron was able to do so much. And then I look back at my other daughter, Noelle, and she's the all-time leading scorer in in basketball, boys and girls, with over 2,800 points. Cameron had almost the exact same amount. I've been so blessed to have two athletes, two great kids, uh, two grandkids, and to to watch and be able to coach uh, and bring up our kids. I'm just so thankful. And how about having Connie as a support system from from the get-go? If people don't understand, her uh, dad was a famous high school coach in Kentucky. Woody Crum was one of the all-time greats ever. And, in fact, my senior year of high school, I played for Woody and didn't meet Connie until later. And, in fact, I went out with her sister before I dated her <laughs> and then ended up dating Connie <laughs> and Connie. So I've uh, got the uh, heredity in our family of coaching, and you can see where Cameron's got so much of it in her background. And I tell you, there's nobody that works any harder than that Cameron. She works as hard, and I'm hoping through that hard work and the talent she's got this year that she can finally be rewarded too. Coach, I kind of think back to my high school days and the impact that particular coaches had on what I'm doing now and maybe the way they were able to mold whatever I'm doing now. Is that of the utmost, being able to say, all right, that is number one on the list, why I do what I do is the opportunity to see one of your former players come back after 20 years removed from high school and playing for you at Harrison County to have them come back and say, coach, what you did for me here, what you said here, it resonated. Is that top of the list for you? I'm sure it is in some way, shape or form versus all the wins that you've accumulated over the years. Without a doubt that has happened so many times. I've had so many people write me personal letters 
we are very fortunate here at Harrison County. We have a alumni baseball uh, association that uh, supports Harrison County baseball. We have a Hall of Fame. Our alumni, we have an alumni game every year, Derby Eve. We've been having this for about 15, 20 years. All the alumni come back and support, you know, that we have a home run derby that night for all the alumni. We've had so many. That, that has been such a success. We play a game. We've had other high schools copy that and start doing it. Connor at, uh, up in northern Kentucky has started doing that. Our alumni come back and support us and come back to the games, and they're just so proud of being able to be a part of Harrison County baseball. Every single coach I have, six assistant coaches, and every single one of them, Play for me. Played for me in high school. At one time, they played for me. Uh, the AD at our high school played for me. Jared Martin, uh, who I'm so proud of, in 2010 won the state tournament. He's the top assistant coach at University of Cumberland's now. We've had so many kids like that go on and do something with their life through being able to play baseball, and that makes everything worthwhile. Just to hear that, give those kids a chance. It, it's just a great feeling to have that happen and for them to come back and relay that to you. Mac, the one thing I've got that I wanted to get with you on is, and we kind of touched, Steve kind of touched on it earlier, is how the game has changed and how dealing with parents has changed. Um, is that just something that you've had to kind of adapt to and just kind of understand, you know, the new age with technology and kind of the win-now attitude? How have you kind of adapted to that moving forward? You know, the only thing I've really had to adapt to, I've been so fortunate, and that's another thing. Winning takes care of the problem. If you win, you can do more things that the parents accept. When you put kids in college, when you get people drafted, we've had nine people drafted, you know, all the things like that, you get more, so much more leeway with the parents. We have a great booster program. We, we meet. Uh, they help the kids. That was one good thing. All through the years, if there was any kind of problem, they'd call Ronnie. They would call Ronnie. They wouldn't call me. Over the years, I've had a rule that if you're not going to be at practice, you have to call me personally. I want to accept you just not showing up. And if you don't call, you're in trouble. Well, that's, that's been ever since I've ever coached. We've never had a problem with that. Our kids don't miss practice. They respect it. The parents know it. We meet with the parents. We take them on trips. We go all over the country. We travel. Our, our parents are a part of our program, and they don't interfere. And I am just because we've done it a certain way for so many years, it's been a success. We have I've had very, very, very little parent people complaining about anything. I've had to adjust because of the phones, cell phones, doing this, taking this away, you know of some things that we might have done earlier that we can't do now, but that's just, and they say I've gone soft, but I don't know about that. I think I'm just a little smarter. So, Coach, on our previous episode, we had Ken Bilger, who was a tight end for the Indianapolis Colts, but he played sports all the way through, you know, starting in high school and all the way through, and I asked him the same question about multi-sport athletes. Uh, A lot of the things you see now in today's society, they're telling kids, at a young age, to play as many sports as they can. Ken kind of disagreed with it, so I wanted to see what maybe your thoughts were. Do you recommend for somebody that's 14, 15, 16 years old to play as many sports as they want in high school, 
Or do you think it would be better for him to just focus on one sport and then have time away from it? That's an easy question. And I've been accused of not wanting kids to do other things, which is totally opposite. You want, I want kids to enjoy, especially if we got a middle school kid, enjoy whatever they got going on at the middle school level. When you get to high school, I don't care if you play football, soccer, baseball, golf, whatever it is. That's fine. Do whatever you want to do. But if you want to get good at something, you have to train for it. You just can't play this sport. Uh, you can't play baseball and then go to football in the, in the fall, play football, then go to basketball, play basketball, and then come back to baseball and think that you're going to be any good in baseball. And it's the same thing for every sport. So you can play them all, but if you want to be good at something, you have to train. That means, you know, we work out on Sundays. If you play football, basketball, you still got the opportunity to be there and work out. If you got, time, if you need to lift weights to get stronger, you got to make time to go lift weights. But that doesn't mean that you can't play football or basketball or whatever it might be. That's the key to it. I would never recommend anybody give up anything until at least after a sophomore year. And then you might want to say, "Well, I need to train more. Let's take out, let's take away one that I'm not very good at or something." But a school our size, if you're any good, you need to play. So we don't we don't put any dampers on anybody not to playing anything. But I do tell you that if you want to get something in college, it just doesn't happen. You've got to train to get better at that sport, whatever it is, to get to the next level. Does that help any? Great answer. Great answer. I got another one for you. It has to do with the game of baseball. You know, used to back in my time, I always remember, you know, We'll start with Pete Rose, Charlie Hustle. We'll start with Ricky Henderson and stolen bases. You know, I sit down and watch a baseball game now, and it's all about, you know, hitting home runs, hitting home runs, hitting home runs, hitting for power. Do you think stealing bases is a lost art in the game of baseball today? It is in the major leagues. It's not at the high school level. That's what you've got. And it's not at the uh, NCAA level. You, you've still got to be able to do that. You've still got to move runners along. You've still got to bunt. Major leagues get paid a certain amount of money, and they're going to they're going to not sacrifice their salary to bunt a guy over. Now that doesn't make the team better, but you know it comes down to you know if I want to make money, I got to have more stats, and they're not counting you know how many times you steal a base or how many times you sacrifice somebody. So it's a different game at the pro level now. It's a different game at the college level. Pitching is so much in, so much more important now than ever. But at the high school level, we have to play a certain way because we don't, unless you're a private school and you can recruit, you have to take the talent you got. Whatever talent that is, you might have to steal bases. You might have to bunt. You can put a great defense on the field. So you, you take what you get at the high school level. At the next level, it's, it's sort of a lost art. Well, I played baseball until I was – a junior in high school, and I had a coach that coached me at Southeastern Bambino in Lexington, Coach Lewis, and he told one of the first things I remember, he said a home run swing is an incorrect swing if you talk about the plane of the swing. Exactly to right. This, to this day, it still sticks with me. It's unbelievable. That, that's where you get today is the launch angle. That's what they're talking about, that you've got to have a swing that launches the ball so that you can hit more home runs. That, that that's a different 
and, and the, the technology now, they can they can video that swing and be able to show you that you've got to get that uppercut for the launch angle. Well, at, in the high school level, that's a bad swing because you're going to strike out a whole bunch of times. You're not that good. That's a swing that you've got to do thousands of times to get to the point where you can master that. In high school, you want to keep from striking out, and you don't. You want the flatter swing, and you've got to be smart enough to understand that the home run usually doesn't win at the high school level. Yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you to follow up, Coach, because you hear so much now about advanced analytics. You hear about hard hit rate. You mentioned it, launch angle, exit velocity. But so often, I still watch a game, and it's at the big league level. And you talk about salaries and, and how it's all related and what they may do in a certain situation. But you talk about situational baseball. Like for example, first and second, nobody out. I would think, hey, why not put some pressure on, just lay one down and move the runners? You just don't see that. The big league level is often, I would feel like, you know, at your level, and particularly as long as you've been doing this, that, that's just a no-brainer. You can play a little small ball there, you put some pressure on, right? Uh, everybody knows how I play. It's no secret. If we need to run the tie or need to run to go win the game, we're going to move a runner to second and get one base hit and win the game. We're not going to have the guy swing away or hit into a double play or, you know, just because he wants to swing, you do what's best for the team. And what's best for the team is learn how to move runners along and play, make the other team make a mistake. If you can play high school baseball and you not make errors and not make mistakes, you've got a good chance to win a high school game. Now, that's not the exact same way in the pro level or the high D1 level. They, they want you to hit the ball out of the ballpark, but we, we're not coaching those pro players. We've we got to coach what we get at the high school level. As Spark Gander would say, get them on, get them over, get them in. That's it, totally. <laughs> exactly, the big red machine. So as we talk about Major League Baseball a little bit, we all, everybody watches, well, many people watch Major League Baseball. With all these shifts, do you think there's going to become a time where I watch the Reds a lot, and they always shift towards the first base side for Votto. Do you think there's ever going to be a time where these players are like, okay, if you're just going to keep shifting, I'm just going to hit it down the third baseline and get a single and move on, or do you think it's more of a back to your, you know, they get paid all this money, so they got to hit for all these home runs? It will not change now. They're going to do that. They're going to continue to do that. The aspect of, of computers and charting every single thing that happens. They, they've charted so much that they know the odds, and they're going to play the odds just like the casinos. You know, they know where this guy's going to hit. And in high school, it'll never get to that. Well, I don't, I don't switch for anything. You know, I, I keep it straight up. We have to call pitches. We, you know, the same things that, that they do, we cannot do, and I will never do at the high school level. Do you call the pitches for the pitcher, or does your catcher? We relay them from the dugout to the catcher and then from the catcher to the pitcher. And people get criticized for that, but I'm telling you, at the, at, when you're a 15-, 16-, 17-year-old catcher, you don't have the experience to know what we know, and you don't see what we see. And I've called them all my life, and I'll continue to call them. Speaking of continue to call them, Mac, when do you know when it's time? I know you say you feel good, your health is good, you know, you've been blessed from that standpoint. How, how much longer do, do you have in the tank to, to continue to coach? The most important thing is I want 
and I tell every team, I'm going to give you the very best I got. I'm going to work my bottom off just to give you the opportunity to be successful at the high school level. And if I can't do that, I'm not going to coach. I'm not going to do it halfway. I'm not going to have somebody else do it. If I can't give you the effort that I know that is required to be successful, I'm not going to be there. Now, health takes care of that. If I'm healthy, I think I can be there. I've got good coaches. We work hard. I guarantee you our kids, our guys work hard to get better. And Sundays are the day where nobody else is doing anything. So Sunday evening, we get them up on the field. We work at it. And as long as I feel like I can do that, and it's not taken away from my family time and my wife's wife and everybody's healthy, I'll do it at least a couple more years. We've got a pretty good team. We only had one senior coming back this year. We had zero last year. We started six freshmen last year. Every infielder was a freshman. Our freshmen were playing against all varsities last year, and we made it to the regional finals and had a chance to win. And now they're sophomores, and I've got 10 juniors and 10 sophomores, and we're decent. We've got a decent pitching staff. So for the next two or three years, I'm looking at having a, another chance to get back to the state tournament, and we're going to keep working at it. And when it gets to the point where I can't do it anymore, I'll know, and I'll make sure that I let people know when it's time to quit. And more so from a rhetorical uh, question standpoint, Mac, what do you want kind of your legacy to be? I know Drew kind of touched on it earlier, and the people that I've talked to leading up to, to talking to you today, your players are more than just players, but they're they're men, and you're you're responsible for kind of graduating them from from boys to men, you know, for for lack of a better phrase. But um, you know, what do you want to be kind of remembered for? You, you've got former players that are all over the map professionally. Uh, from we already talked about teachers, coaches, ads, referees, uh, CEOs, doctors, dentists, nurses, accountants. Kind of, what do you want your legacy to be? I think what everybody knows from the way that I've coached every year I've ever coached is that it doesn't make any difference if you are a doctor, superintendent's boy, principal's son. Coach Whitaker is going to play the person that that should be playing, and he doesn't play any favorites. It doesn't make any difference if you're black or white or whoever. It's whoever gets the job done. doesn't make any difference what grade you're in. He's going to play the best player, and I think every single person knows that that's, in my mind, I'm playing the very best player for anybody, and that if you played for Mike Whitaker down the road, you're going to be a good citizen. You're going to, you're going to, be, you're going to be able to keep a job because – you were required to be there at a certain time and do a certain thing, and, and if that's part of your training down the road to be a good person after high school at whatever you do, whether it's go on to college, just get a job around town. If you played for Mac Whitaker, you're going to keep a job. Well, Mac, we certainly appreciate having you on. I can't wait to catch up again. Once all this COVID stuff's done, we'll, we'll catch up soon. I'm, I'm waiting on some of Connie's Whitaker dip, the famous <laughs> Whitaker dip. Yeah. And uh, I'll go ahead and put my order in now through you, and and we will I'll we will catch up. We will definitely catch up this fall, uh, buddy. I appreciate you calling. It's been a great time sitting here talking baseball, and and I love to do that. So anytime you need anything, I'm always here, and I appreciate what you've done for my daughter all these years. You're a good friend, and you take and you watch after and everything you do. So thank you so much, and thank all the other guys for me, and and uh, I, I appreciate you talking to me. 
Thanks, Mac. We'll talk soon. Well, thanks, Coach. Thanks, Thanks, Coach. Enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to the Whistle Stop Podcast, brought to you by Jason Stonebreaker at Campbell Chevrolet on Scottsville Road in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Call or text Jason at 270-996-8365 to schedule your test drive. Check out the hashtags Buy From Stoney, Stoney Sells, and BG Cars for the latest new and used car information. Also check out CampbellChevrolet.com. Find us wherever you get your podcast and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Whistle Stop Pod.